In my sin, even then. You know, sometimes I just want to hear about Him. You know what I mean? Sometimes I just want to hear about His love. I want to hear about His blood. I want to hear about the power transmitted through that blood to me. Because, guys, I don't know about you. I can't talk to your life. I don't know what your life was like. Man, I know what mine was. And I am grateful for salvation. I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Because, man, He saved me. He saved me. Some of you may have been raised in church and been good folk. I don't know. Good for y'all. <laughs> but there's some of y'all in here who know what I'm talking about when I say, He saved me. I needed saving. And He saved me. My God in heaven. And I'm just... I'm just kind of in awe. And when Kenzie sings a song like this, I just want to hear it again. That's all. It's not anything that I want y'all to do. I just kind of want to hear it. You know? Because, wow. How many of y'all, now listen to me. How many of you all needed saving? How many of y'all were the were the one who Jesus delivered and you had seven devils? You know what I mean? Hypothetically, you had seven devils, man, and you needed saving. Folk who get saved like that are the folk that just want to listen to her sing about the blood because we needed to be saved. God, He saved us. He saved us. The Bible says to the uttermost. Amen? Amen if you can be seated. I want to say something right quick. Thank you, worship team. I appreciate you so much. I want to say happy birthday to Troy Miles. Troy Miles had a big old country birthday yesterday. <laughs> there were a whole bunch of folk there, wasn't there? Man, there was a bunch of folk there. You know why? Because they all love you. They love you to pieces. And, man, it was a good time. And... uh we enjoyed celebrating and thankful that we could we were invited to come celebrate with you and and happy birthday brother you can clap for him again my lord this man was a man of god preaching preaching bible in a church for i don't even know how long serving the lord him and his wife and 
He's worthy of a good old round of applause. Can't we just do that? Let's go ahead and give him one. <laughs> oh, praise God. You know, we're... Uh, how many of you pulled in the, the, the parking lot today and realized that there's some, we're starting to see some things missing around campus? Anybody notice? Yeah. If you happen to be parked on the north parking lot, you would have noticed it specifically. And if you didn't notice it, may I suggest glasses or contacts? We are going to be, well, we've started some campus renovations, and they are going to be kind of a regular fixture around here for a while. And if you notice, the house that sits right outside our uh, north doors here, that house that we purchased October of two years ago, um, it's been that long, the privacy fence is coming down around it, and you can actually look out the doors and see all the way to the youth center. And that's a good thing. Those things are going to be starting to happen, and the, the eldership is on the move with doing some great things here. And I'm so grateful for our church eldership. They are, they are, <laughs> they're awesome. Let's just put it that way. And out here on uh, Beaton Street, the chain link fence on the on the little stretch of uh, fencing that's right here next to our. A rental property heading north that's coming down that's all happening and so just be looking for good things to happen around here okay now this is uh we're going to be preaching this morning teaching more accurately out of revelation chapter 11 and this is part four of revelation chapter 11 and i hate to tell you this but there's going to be part five i really hate to tell you that but this this part four has been waiting to be ministered for some time now, and I've finally gotten to a place where I can do that. And next week, which will be my last week here before my sabbatical takes effect, um, it will be we'll be closing out chapter eleven of the Revelation next week, and uh, that's that's when my sabbatical, as I have said, will take effect at that point in time. Uh, and with that said, um, it's good to have Brother and Sister Carico. Notice I didn't say Brother and Sister Bishop. We don't want the confusion. Brother and Sister Carico is here. It's good to have you guys. Always good to see you in the house of God with us. They're busy folk, and they're, they're uh, a lot of places, a lot of different places. So with that said, I want you all to open your Bibles or look right up behind me at the screen and... Open your Bibles to the chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, and our text is going to be taken from verse 7. I will, as I always am, unless noted, uh, going to be reading from the NIV. Our text reads, Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Wow, that's exciting. Let's have church now. <laughs> the power of that verse is subtle, but it is so very relatable. How is that verse in the in the slightest in the slightest sense applicable to you and I? It's it, it's actually right there in front of our faces 
now when they have finished their testimony. I heard that amen. Someone got that. I want you to understand something. Well, I'm going to get there. I'm just going to head there right now. It's important that we grasp that truth. Now, when they have finished their testimony, Lehman Strauss said of the two witnesses in his book, The Revelation, quote, These two witnesses, like all true witnesses of Jesus Christ, are immortal until their work is done. Man, y'all ought to be amen in that. Do not overlook the fact that they were not killed until after they have finished their testimony. The beast who comes up out of the abyss cannot harm them until they accomplish their divinely ordered mission. How many today gathered here at Calvary Worship Center in the sprawling metroplex that is Corsicana, Texas, how many of you are on a divinely ordered mission? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the blood has been shed for you, and it has been applied to your life, I've got news for you today. You are on a divinely ordered mission, whether you know it or not. Jesus closed out His last will and testament by saying, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. You are on a divinely ordered mission, ladies and gentlemen. And you need to take comfort in the fact that you are immortal until your work is done. Oh, it may not be fun doing your work. It may not be an absolute ball or a picnic or a ride in the park. You may experience all kind of trial and tribulation during your lifetime, as long or as brief as it may be. But I'm telling you that when Christ left this earth, He said, Go! And He means us. You are on a divinely ordered mission. And your voice will not be silenced until that mission is complete. Satan is unable, Strauss continues, to silence or slay them. Their lives and their labors stand together. Somebody needs to write that down and read that tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. Because, brothers and sisters, as Christians, our lives and our labors stand together. And what he has commissioned you to do, Satan cannot stop until it is done. 
God will not allow anything to interfere with their witness bearing as long as they are in his will. Early attempts were made on the life of our Lord, but none were successful. Not until he said, it is finished, did he surrender his spirit to the Father. Attempts were made to kill Paul. One of such uh, uh, efforts, meeting with apparent success in 2 Corinthians 12, but God raised him up and spared him to finish his testimony. Paul knew that when the time of his departure had come, he had finished his course, and he said so. End quote. Our text says, Now, when they had finished their testimony, the word testimony here in the Greek means evidence given, record, or report. And could be read now when they had finished giving the evidence or when they had finished publicly reading the record. Now, I want you to to pause for just a minute. Do not make the mistake of thinking that this is some casual courtroom drama that these two witnesses are in reading the record as it were. We're not talking about here where a, a prosecutor within the comfortable confines of a courtroom makes a case based on a brief list of charges against the defendant. We've all seen that on television, and we may have even seen it in person in a courtroom before, where, where someone stands up and reads a brief list of things that the defendant is guilty of doing. This is not that scenario. Under any circumstances, do not be confused. The evidence contained on the world's record, the evidence that will be used to publicly indict the entire world in conjunction with the subsequent judgments that will follow, now hear me, will take three and a half years to fully disclose It is, is it any wonder at all that for the three and a half year period of time that we're talking about here, that people will line up to try to assassinate these two witnesses? It's even addressed in the scriptures, Revelation 11 and 5, if anyone tries to harm them. And there will be those who will try to eliminate them. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone, the Bible says, who wants to harm them must die. These two witnesses are going to be brought onto the scene, onto the theater of mankind, men themselves who have been eternally preserved in heaven, having never died, and they're going to, for three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days, read the record of guilt that all of mankind is worthy of at this point. Trust me. 
people are going to try to kill him. Is it any wonder that after they die at the hand of the beast that comes up from the abyss, that for three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial? The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth? Is it any wonder that these people will line up? Can you imagine? I have heard preachers say this for years. How would you feel if God took everything that you're guilty of in sin and plaster it on a massive screen for all the world to see. Those of you who I mentioned earlier who really needed saving, we don't want that screen even in existence, much less our lives plastered there. Well, guess what? For three and a half years... For 42 months, for 1,260 days, two witnesses will be on earth prophesying, foretelling, speaking the judgment of God and destroying anyone who attempts to hinder their message. No wonder people want to kill them. What a horrible situation. The streets of Jerusalem are going to be chaotic with sin and degradation and debauchery. And in the middle of it, these two witnesses will prophesy the word of the Lord against earth. Their testimony will be the combination of evidence indicting the world of its evils and the judgments pronounced against them. We thought that John the Baptist's ministry was difficult. And it was. I mean, how many of you stylish church folk want to wear nothing but camel hair and run around eating locusts? How many? Can you say... But to stand up, as Revelation 11.8 says, in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified and continue to do so for three and one half years is Herculean, to say the least. The hatred against these two witnesses will be no common hatred. How many of you hate something? How many of you hate something? You all liars. You raise your hands. You know what I hate? And I said this a month, month and a half, two ago. I hate it when folk post their eat, what they're eating on social media. I hate that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I do not traffic in social media. I just find that practice 
as ab- a- absolutely mind-numbingly ridiculous. If I was on social media, I don't want to see what you're eating. I no sooner said that a month or two ago than I had two, count them, two of my people, one of which was an elder. Send me a picture of what they had for lunch. Paul Palos. How many of y'all hate something? There's stuff y'all hate. Hate. I mean hate. God. This is no common hatred. Whatever it is you say. I hate it when. How many of y'all hate commercials? See, I told y'all hate stuff. But no, you didn't raise your hand. Uh-uh. I hate it when, how many of y'all love flat tires? Oh, wow, that got, that got ugly for just that long. Well, this is no common hatred that we're talking about here. This is a satanic hatred that stems from none other than Satan himself. You see, this hatred will be a projection. It's a projected extension of himself directed at the only targets that are available for his loathe. This is a satanic hatred. This hatred is a hatred that, now listen carefully to me, at its core, and not unlike the plot against Adam and Eve, isn't so much directed toward the two witnesses as the genuine source of Satan's loathing, as much as it is at God himself who sent these witnesses. You're thinking to yourself, well, why do you say that? Well, (laughs) let me tell you. In verse 7 here in our text, the beast that comes from the abyss will attack them, is what the Bible says in the NIV. The word attack In the Greek, that word attack means warfare, battle. Okay? You got two guys here. Two. And the beast wages a war against them. This is not some covert assassination plot. That's not what happens here. They've already tried that. Many times it's been tried over three and a half years. They've tried to kill these guys. And at a high, high cost to who has been trying to do it. This isn't that. This is war. So in the middle of the street, in the what the Bible says, the public square of the great city, the beast wages war. And it will require... A warlike manifestation, not to overpower and kill the witnesses. That's not why. Now, these two, as we've already found out, these two are no pushovers. But here's why. Their testimony is complete. Verse 7 tells us this. They're going to die because they're done. Their mission is done on earth. Not to overpower and kill them their time of service was over and they at this time 
will re-enter heaven knowing that they had finished their course. No, this is going to require a war. It's going to require a battle if for no other reason than to satisfy the thirst for vengeance in the beast himself and appease his hatred for the one who sent these two. He shows up after three and a half years of being completely impotent to stop this testimony. And he says, it's over. I will show you before the world who is Lord here. And he wages a war to destroy these two men. God relinquishes his control. They die. And while the fun just starts... The devil is beside himself with hatred for God. And this is why we know this. Jesus said of him in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he continues on in Isaiah chapter 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. You have been cast down. He didn't trip. He didn't stumble. He was grasped hold of by the divine and cast toward terra firma. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid the low the nations. This is a hatred that finds its origins in Satan himself. But after they're killed, after these two, uh, these two supermen, iron men, who cannot be killed, cannot be destroyed for three and a half years, preaching out, prophesying out the word of the Lord against the earth itself in all of its ugly detail, we, we come around to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 12 and listen to what it says. Then... They heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. While their enemies looked on. Have you remember a few minutes ago I was asking you, Is there anything y'all hate? How many of y'all hate being humiliated? How many of you absolutely hate being humiliated? I don't mean you dislike it. I don't mean you have a bad taste in your mouth for it. I mean you hate being humiliated. This is the kind of ending that happens where you go, I, I can die for him like that. I can die for Jesus when he calls me by name and pulls me out of here and takes me to his side. We can be we can take the persecution of the world. We can take being humiliated by this earth's population if we know in the end my service, service that I give up willingly is going to result when it's all over. That he's going to call my name and I'm going to be with him and he's going to look at me and he's going to lean over on one side and he's going to wink at me and he's going to say, well done. 
child. I wonder if Jesus' fist bumps. I'm going to tell you another thing I hate. I hate elbow bumps because of COVID. hate it. How many of you are getting weary of the world? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. The word they. Then they heard a loud voice. Henry Morris wrote the book, The Revelation Record. Henry Morris says that they refers to those that he calls in his book, the viewers. The viewers. That is, those people standing around at this time who are onlookers at the time of our text. In other words, the ones who were there in close proximity when the beast who comes up from the abyss wages war against the two and destroys them, kills them. The viewers. He says this, But not only did the viewers see the spirits of the prophets return from God into their bodies, they also heard a thunderous voice roar from heaven speaking to the risen saints. Now I'm going to look at you and I want to make a little statement here. That may be true. I don't know. Those onlookers, the ones that Morris calls the viewers, may in fact hear the, quote, loud voice from heaven, end quote. They may. I don't know. I'm not going to be there to proof it out. However, the text here in verse 12 does not expressly say that. That's not what it says. Morris assumes that simply because the onlookers are standing there seeing what's happening, that they can also hear the voice from heaven when it calls to the two witnesses. In fact, the context and the emphasis of the verse in question suggests that they aren't onlookers at all. But rather, it's referencing the two witnesses. Now, I want you to watch this. It's going to be on the screen. Watch. But after the three and a half days, the breath of God, let me see, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet. And terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. That's eight times in two verses that them, they, and their are used in direct reference to the two witnesses, not those who are standing around. Eight times in two verses. So, I am of the opinion that although the onlookers might possibly hear the call for the two witnesses, 
Although that would be without precedent because the voice of God isn't frequently heard by the lost unless it's a call to salvation. They may possibly hear that that call. The subject matter of these two verses is clearly the two resurrected prophets. When that call comes, it's to them. It's not heard by the crowd. And then there's that then there's that three-word phrase right there. Come up here. Question, does that sound familiar to anybody here? Does that thing sound familiar? It should. It is the exact same command, exact same command as was given in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 using the exact same Greek words. Listen, Revelation 4.1. See if this rings a bell. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. Amen is right. If you understand what I'm saying here, when the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 4 and 1 says to John, Come up here! And the next thing John knows is he has traversed the threshold of heaven and is in the presence of God, having been called up and called away just to turn around in the 11th chapter of the same book. And we have two prophets who have just been killed by the beast. And while the onlookers are standing by there, right in front of them, in the square of Jerusalem, there is a voice, a thunderous voice that comes up and says, Come up here. Tell me what just happened to these two. The same thing that happens to the church in chapter 4. This is where this is where I can see that claim that that Morris makes about the viewers might possibly hear the loud voice from heaven those onlookers they saw the dead witnesses they saw him killed they're laying there dead for three and a half years they saw those same three-and-a-half-day-old dead men raised from the dead right in front of them. Remember, this is Mardi Gras in the square in Jerusalem because the two witnesses have died. And they have, by the hand of the beast, who's shaking his fist in the face of God, saying, Oh, yeah! Look at that! They're giving gifts, they're partying, probably every imaginable debauchery is going on right there when right in front of them, come up here, they stand up. Do you grasp that? You wrap your head around that? They saw the dead witnesses rise. According to verse 12, they also saw them 
being caught up to heaven. Look at verse look at verse 12. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while not the right verse. Still, not while their enemies looked on. So, are they seeing all this happen? Yeah, they even see the catching away, the rapture of these two. They're sitting there, oh no. They see it happen. Could they have heard it? It's, in, it's possible. I just know that my verses don't, don't play that way out. And two, this fact... And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. This is not unprecedented. Acts chapter 1. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee. They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I can see these two guys walk up to them and while they're all watching Jesus leave and they go. Psst. Hey, guys, what are you doing? I can just see it. It's funnier to me than you. I get it. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's not unprecedented. The people in the middle of Jerusalem partying, celebrating at the death of the witnesses, they're going to stand there and watch because it's happened before. I want you to notice something here in our Acts chapter 1 reference. I want you to notice the word used here is the word men and not angel. It says they were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white. The word here is men, not angel. The Greek word used here is aner, if I'm pronouncing A-N-E-R, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And it means a man. Two, in the very next sentence in our text in Acts 1, in the very next sentence, the two men refer to the disciples as men of Galilee. In both references here, the same Greek word, aner, is used meaning a man. Now, some, probably many, assume that these two men are actually angels. However, that Greek word is the word angelos, meaning angel. For example, Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. After Jesus was tested by the devil in the wilderness, that then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The word angels here in Matthew 4 is the word angelos, not aner, men as in Acts 1. That's important. It's a, an important distinction because there are those, and it's completely speculation, but there are those who actually believe that these two men in Acts chapter 1 
could actually be the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. Because they're not angels. They're men. Two, there's another reason why I can see that these viewers that Morrison refers to, mentioned earlier, might possibly hear the loud voice from heaven. Is that this is a very, very, very different catching away or rapture than the one that's documented in Revelation chapter 4. What happens to the two witnesses is very different than what happens in Revelation 4 in the sense that in Revelation 11, this doesn't happen according to 1 Corinthians 15 in the twinkling of an eye. What happens in Revelation doesn't happen in the twinkling of an eye. It happens in full view of everybody standing around. It happens more slowly, observable, and in full view of those watching. Not unlike what happened in Acts 1 when Jesus goes up in the cloud and everybody's standing around watching instead of being hit by a a Mack truck not knowing what just happened. They're watching it occur in Acts 1 and Revelation 11. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an, of an eye at the last trumpet. That's not like Acts 1 and Revelation 11. Whereas Revelation 11 says, And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Again, much like what happened in Acts 1. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from his sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. I'm going to conclude very quickly this morning. Revelation chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. The city of Jerusalem paid its judgment tithe to God. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And this is how this concludes. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. When we conclude next week, that is going to be and I've said this in weeks before, that is going to be roughly right at the middle of the Great Tribulation. When chapter 11 of the revelation of Jesus Christ passes, I don't even remember what I just said there. How do you like that? When chapter 11 concludes and the two witnesses die, and are translated up into heaven. We have now reached, according to the scriptures, and it's spelled out plainly, three and one half years concluded in the revelation, in the great tribulation. 
when, we, when, when chapter 12 picks up, now we're in another time, as it would, not another time as in time period, but in a different set of, of, of rules and regulations with respect to time. The Bible says that these two men prophesied for 42 months, 1260 days, three and one half years. And since we have a seven-year great tribulation removing three and a half years, we have half of it gone. Next week, we're going to conclude chapter 11, and we're going to sew up this portion of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and possibly even uh, a revelation of our own with respect to understanding. Stand with me this morning. God is good. God is in control. People look at the revelation as absolute and utter perfect chaos. In reality, it's absolute perfect control. It's utterly dictated. It's utterly controlled. And we need to understand that whatever's going on in our personal lives, whatever it may be, as chaotic as roller coaster esque as it may be god is in control and the lord jesus christ upon his ascension the bible tells us that he is seated at the right hand of god doing what eating dr pepper cheetos and watching espn of course not the bible says he is forever making intercession for us for those of you who may not know what that word means it means he is seeking god on our behalf in legal terms he's pleading our case before the judge why because god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he is going to be sitting next to the great judge of all eternity, and he is going to be applying his perfect, perfect skills to show his father, these are your children because of my shed blood. And all we need is to accept the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. There's not... That's what we need to do to get into eternity with him. That is the gateway to eternity with God. The shed blood of Jesus as applied to us upon our acknowledgement and recognition that we are lost, we are sinners, and we are going to hell without a Savior, and we acknowledge him as the only begotten of the Father who shed his blood for us. We accept that we become the children of God. We are saved by that shed blood. That whole revelation of Jesus Christ. He's just tying up loose ends. Amen? Is there anybody here that does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you don't